All right, I'm here with uh, Alan and Caitlin. And Caitlin is starting with Grand Theft Auto. I am starting with Grand Theft Auto. So the video game chronicle.com, which is the most respected <laughs> video game chronicle in the world, has an article by Andy Robinson talking about the recent attack on Rockstar Games and the leak of Grand Theft Auto 6. So Grand Theft Auto 6 has basically been in development for about 10 years almost. Like I think Grand Theft Auto 5 came out like nine, nine years ago. And they were probably starting on 6 even before 5 came out. So it's been in development for a very long time. And of course, these series are big projects. Um, and a hacker got into the Rockstar Studios network, got a bunch of the source code, got a bunch of development videos of, of it running, showing stuff to developers, what's going on, and basically leaked Grand Theft Auto 6. Um, and so there was a lot of talk about, well, is this going to stop the game? Is this going to affect um, Rockstar in any negative way? And what Rockstar is saying is that they are going to continue with Grand Theft Auto 6, probably release around 2023, 2024. And it, the, the, it's not going to affect the timeline of, of anything. Um, it, is, it, it is rather surprising that this much data got dumped from Grand Theft Auto 6, uh, but it happened. And yeah, so... Now, Sam, your audio is not working. Yeah. Did they have any details of how the hack happened? They don't have any real big details. Supposedly, it was, I, I would imagine it's very similar to what we saw in Uber, which was a stolen credential, you know, yeah. being bought and then being used to get on the system through maybe some social engineering. Uh, but there's yep. no real details about what exactly happened to get the, to get the, uh, get the data out. But obviously they must have transferred gigabytes upon gigabytes upon gigabytes of data. So I don't know how that managed to all get exfiltrated without anyone noticing. Does suggest that they've got sloppy network monitoring. Probably. And and this is Lapsus, the same people that hacked Uber, supposedly. Supposedly. I mean, as far as I can tell, the reason why they think it is the same person that hacked Uber is because they used a, a name on a message board that seems to suggest it. So that is maybe the case. I mean, it's not solid evidence that it's the same person, but it's it's pointing to it. Yeah. Uh, I saw an article that said they actually identified the leader of Lapsus accused of this. They know who it is in Britain. Oh. And he's like been released from jail pending trial. So uh, yeah, we'll all the details may come out. Yeah, more details may come out about how this happened, but it's, but the big question, of course, is whether or not this is going to delay Grand Theft Auto 6, and apparently it will not. How can a company stay in business if it takes them 10 years to write the next game? Well, because the way Grand Theft Auto 5 worked is that it has a continuous uh, monetary stream. So oh. they they have a um, a main game portion, which they sold, and also the online component, which has in-app purchases, you know, social networking, everything. So it's like Facebook. Like, yeah, they're, they, you don't even buy it, but you're constantly interacting with it, which and is how they make money. Paying more money. Right. Oh, well, okay. Then there's no real need for a new version at all. Okay. Right. Exactly. So they've been, the only reason to come out with the new version is to get numbers back up again. Um, and of course, the time and effort to put out a new version, especially with the online features that they, you know, that they've had. Um, is very time consuming and a big project. So okay, fair enough. So Ethereum has done the merge, and now um, 
there's an SEC filing, which does not directly have legal weight, they say, but this is an SEC filing, a civil complaint against a crypto influencer having to do with an initial coin offering. And this has happened before. Initial coin offerings apparently have to register as securities before they launch, or they're violating the American financial laws. But there's a sentence in this one stating what I think everybody in crypto has been waiting for the shoe to drop. They say, since the validators on the Ethereum network are primarily in the US, every transaction on Ethereum is therefore taking place in the United States and is subject to United States law. And this is closely related to the other big concern that now that Ethereum has emerged and most of the transactions are in fact validated through Coinbase or another American company, then it is no longer a commodity. It is now a security. It is essentially buying stock in Coinbase. So um, the legal status of Ethereum will change a lot. The, the purists will be very angry that it is no longer escaping government intervention. But I think the serious investment types will be happy saying now it's actually going to have a firm legal basis and the government will be able to control it and sanction accounts and stuff like that. So it'll become less innovative and more established as a financial instrument, perhaps. Anyway, and then Alan's got dirt on the blower. Yeah, another big story from The New Yorker and Ronan Farrow, who's doing some of the best long form cybersecurity reporting in the biz right now. And this concerns Peter Zetko, AKA Mudge, who's been in the news very much for blowing the whistle on Twitter and uh, alleging that uh, Twitter has horrible security practices, just atrocious security practices, um, is uh, very insecure and is uh, also uh, susceptible to outages, among other things. Anyway, it uh, seems that according to this article, uh, a number of very moneyed parties that have uh, billions of dollars riding on Elon Musk's proposed or possible takeover of Twitter for $44, $42 billion have taken an interest in Mudge and his personal life. And so they've been calling up and emailing many of his former colleagues, work colleagues, um, dozens probably, maybe even more. And uh, this has gotten a lot of attention um, in his former work circles. Um, apparently, there is more than one entity trying to solicit these interviews with people. Um, and they are these uh, solicitations are saying things like, uh, quote, I'm currently working on a project regarding leadership in tech, and my client is hoping to speak to an experienced professional about a particular individual you may have worked with. And then goes on to request a 45 to 60 minute compensated phone consultation. One of Mudge's former work colleagues who has a high opinion of him incidentally, uh, actually responded to this and fished around for more in, uh, information and was told that, quote, they, the uh, people soliciting information were happy to pay $1,000 an hour. So there's clearly a lot of money uh, available to here to somebody who wants to uh, respond. And there are plenty of players interested in doing this. Uh, there are at least six of these different quote unquote research organizations that are contacting people plus two 
investment firms. So make, making for at least eight players in this game right now, all trying to dig up dirt on Mudge. Um, and it seems like they're not having much luck because his colleagues all have a very high opinion of him. Mudge has been highly respected in hacker circles and government circles for that matter for years now, so decades. So um, he doesn't have any enemies really as far as we can tell just yet, uh, except possibly for those investors who stand to lose a lot of money in this uh, Musk takeover or failed takeover. And so they're trying to find something. Anyway, um, Pharaoh goes on to interview somebody who's a specialist in these kinds of investigations. And he says that um, the tactics being used are highly unusual, that although yes, these organizations that exist, these six different quote unquote research organizations, um, they've been around for years. They actually hire and employ many people. Uh, they have networks of quote unquote experts that range in the tens to hundreds of thousands of individuals, even millions. That business, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but the tactics that are being used in this case are questionable, unethical at best, and possibly illegal. Um, and certainly exposes the, them to the possibility of a civil lawsuit. Uh, this is what the expert on this says. So um, all in all, a very, very messy situation. Um, Zatko uh, has said that um, in, in a statement that um, not only former coworkers, but suggested that personal acquaintances, uh, friends have also been harassed by this. So it suggests that the network of inquiries and players might be even larger than specified in this article. Yeah, and the interesting thing to me is, you know, why would someone do this? My first thought is this Twitter trying to protect their reputation, like eBay did something like this years ago, but that would, it didn't seem to be. So it would appear to be investment firms, but it's kind of a bank shot. I mean, the whistleblower would seem to support Elon Musk's argument. So I guess they're afraid that he will his influence help, will help get Elon out without having to buy Twitter, and therefore their Twitter stock won't make the full purchase price. Exactly. So one of the players is Farallon, an investment firm that is located somewhere in the Bay Area, I believe, and they have a large stake in Twitter. So um, if anybody this... with a stake in Twitter, their only hope of making any money is that Elon will be forced to pay the 5420. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And if the deal fails to go through, then the stock price is going to tank and they'll never get their money out. Right. Okay. So it does make sense. So they yeah. have a strong financial incentive to throw mud on mudge. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, even if he has no enemies, somebody for the right price will lie. <laughs> right. Although $1,000 an hour is probably not enough in those circles. Well, they have to up the ante then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And let's go, let's go back to Caitlin, who's got gambling. Yeah. So there's a bit of a backstory before I start this article. Yesterday, I was running, as I do every week, every evening. And I noticed someone wrote outside our apartment complex, which is a gentrified portion of the city that has been taken over by a lot of, of techies. Uh, they wrote F-Tech, 
And I thought, that is very appropriate. And I'm really glad they wrote that, even though I am definitely part of the problem. Um, I, I do see the issue with what's going on here. Um, and a, a good example of why this sentiment is so well-deserved is in this article um, by uh, the Sydney Morning Herald. And so this article is written by Hamish Hasti, and it's talking about a 21-year-old uh, kid, essentially, who now owes $100,000 through online gambling. Um, so what happened, of course, is that uh, this kid found online gambling sites, and Sam's green screen is showing. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> and what happened is that the kid got sucked into gambling, right? Instead of using technology to like make the world a better place, to solve, you know, serious real world issues, to protect customer data, stuff like that. Some company decided the best thing to use technology for is to, you know, create gambling sites and, and feed people's gambling addiction and not set any limits as well. So if people owe $100,000, then they owe $100,000. And that's what's happening to a lot of these young people who, you know, don't even realize they have maybe addiction um, tendencies. You know, they get on the internet, they start playing video games, they start getting onto online gambling, and suddenly they owe over a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, this is uh, the article talks about multiple children that this happens to, um, and there's very li little in the way to stop kids or very young adults from accessing these gambling sites and there's very little safeguards in place to say like hey you're you over you owe over a thousand dollars you know maybe you should cut this out you know it's 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 a problem um and one that doesn't seem to have any very simple solutions because it would have to be sort of an international you know coalition you know, to go after this, because if you were to say, if you were in France and you said, hey, you know, we, we have a gambling problem here, we'll say no, no gambling sites are allowed in France while well, you just move your servers to Hungary. You know, it's, I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of Robin Hood, where the same thing happened. Yep. Some young person got like three quarters of a million dollars in debt, or they, they thought they were, so they just killed themselves. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so it's you know like like I said, there's just no no safeguards, no uh, you know, and it's 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 just pure predatory practices essentially. Yep, yep, that's the problem with regulating the internet, and it doesn't look like there's going to be any meaningful regulation of the internet coming in the government. Like I said, no one government can regulate this because unless you start censoring the the internet, which is its own set of problems that is oh, yes. not not worth dealing with. Well, a lot of people are trying, but they can't agree on what they want. No. All right. And so I was very surprised to see this document. You know, the uh, Mondesantis took a bunch of people from Texas who were legal asylum seekers and sent them on an airplane to Martha's Vineyard with, in order to create a spectacle for Fox News. And this was arguably an illegal move. And the one thing that would really make it illegal is if they could prove that they lied to those people and sent them there under false pretenses. And now they have got the document. They have got the paper they gave them, which told them a pack of lies that they, um, it said that they would get a uh, job and money and all kinds of things, all of which is totally not true. So they've left documentary evidence that they completely lied to these people and tricked them into boarding this plane under false pretenses. And so there's a lot of talk about um, prosecuting DeSantis and his gang for kidnapping, which um, may well be true. This is um, 
sort of like Trump in those classified documents. I mean, Trump made it so far by never leaving a paper trail. And then he had to steal some paper and they find the paper and lie about it to where there's real written evidence just slapping you in the face. This is, if you're going to be a crook, this is poor operational security. You don't write things down that you're going to lie about later. So maybe something will actually come of it. And by the way, I do want to point out that this whole idea of like sending minorities, you know, around different places is a very old racist trope. I mean, it hasn't been done in the past like 50 years that I know of because it is so terrible. Um, but this is not a new new tactic by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they would send, you know, black slaves where people were trying to fight for their equality and stuff and say, like, you see, you, you, you'd you hate these minorities, too, if they were with you, which, of course, does not happen. You know, the people in Martha Vineyards have been absolutely fantastic in welcoming these people and making sure that they get the support they need because they are victims. They're absolutely victims. Um, and it is not it's not funny. It is not it's it's not. It's it's not okay to victimize these people in this way, and you know the a lot of these Republicans' true colors have have really shown because there a lot of times in our politics we use so many dog whistles that it's hard to tell like hey these people are these people really racist or are they you know do they really just care about states' rights uh, you know stuff like that and um, no by by this stunt really does show them to be just absolutely abhorrent people who don't care about the rights and dignities of of. Uh, refugees so yeah and it's really pretty ridiculous i mean we got the statue of liberty and we're a nation of immigrants we're supposed to welcome people yep. and uh it is a pretty sad state we're in yeah and i mean and it, it shows their state of mind that they thought that if we send these people to martha's vineyards they will become kkk members too which is not which shows that they how they think of themselves like oh you know we're we're bigots so if they have to deal with it they'd be bigots too and it's no no, that's not the case. Well, yeah, and, and the mainstream Republican leaders are making more and more clear that they really are on board with QAnon and Nazis. Yep. So the, it's um, it's pretty bad. This thing has risen before in the McCarthy era and every now and then John Birch era, the, the far right Nazis rise in the Republican Party, but now they're rising much more than I think they ever have before. Yep. And other I'm nations too. Yep, and other nations. I'm, I'm hoping that this is just a side effect of sort of of the internet coming into uh, maturity uh, because a lot of this is tied to radicalization uh, from, you know, like social media. And as studies come out and as we come up with ways to deal with it, I think this will die down. But as it stands, a lot of these people were radicalized back in like 2012, 2014, um, where you know, there, we weren't thinking that Facebook was going to create Nazis, but it totally is. Well, I uh, I don't think it's driven by the Internet. I think it's driven by economic conditions. And I don't think they're going to improve anytime soon. I think, you know, when people get sort of desperate, then they turn to these evil things. That's what Joe Biden said. And I think it was that's, right. That's true, too. I mean, I'm not saying it's I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the Internet plays a big part in this. Uh, but of course, there's other factors as well, including the economy, including things like Fox News, which is milking it for all it's worth. They have literal white supremacists on their, you know, cable networks every every night spewing white nationalists. Popular guys, yeah. Tucker Carlson, and he's yeah. the leader of the white supremacists. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, all right, Alan's got Iran cyber war. Yeah, this is a kind of a summary article from the Economist about uh, what's going on with Iranian cyber. 
uh, attacks and the consequences thereof, um, Iran has become one of the larger players in the uh, cybersecurity or cyber attack fronts. They do have some pretty good capabilities. Um, they may not have the world's greatest or most powerful conventional military, um, although they have invested heavily in it, but they're definitely a big player when it comes to their cyber operations. And it wasn't that long ago that um, they attacked Albania, which was hosting a NATO summit um, earlier this summer. And uh, in July, they attacked uh, a number of different targets in Albania, including the uh, networks of uh, country's parliament and the prime minister's office. Uh, they got into the prime minister's email. Uh, they leaked some sensitive data um, and they planted some ransomware. And it seems that they didn't try all that hard to cover their tracks either. It was pretty explicit. And so Albania responded very forcefully to this. And I don't think it got quite the attention it should have. Uh, Albania gave Iran 24 hours to vacate their embassy in Tirana, in, in Albania, which is you know, a very strong measure to take. And uh, so they, they had only 24 hours to get out of there. Um, and uh, 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 this is only actually one in a number of efforts from Iran. The, Iran's also been very active in attacking Israel lately. Um, and they, Israel has responded by hacking back, interestingly. Um, so it, it seems that uh, Iran has entered into a new period of greater aggression. And this, this is particularly interesting in the context of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Of course, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but Albania is. And in the case of a cyber attack, which potentially affects infrastructure, there's the question of what would uh, happen as regards Article 5 in the NATO Charter. And Article 5 is the uh, mutual assistance in the case of an attack on one of the member states. If one NATO member state is attacked, all NATO states are supposed to come to the aid and defense of that state. Uh, Article 5 was not invoked in the case in the case of the attack on Albania, but could that happen in the future? If say Iran attacks the infrastructure like the electrical grid or the power, or rather the, the sewer or the water supply of a NATO member, then will the other NATO members be obligated to respond? And we've already had cases where, for example, Russian uh, hackers have attacked the American infrastructure they, these hackers may or may not have been working at the behest of the Russian government, but they were certainly working with the tacit, um, maybe don't call it approval, but a blind eye from the Russian government. So what is the state of responsibility as pertains to uh, NATO's uh, Article 5? This is yet to be decided, but some interesting questions raised by this attack by uh, Iran on Albania and Albania's response. Yeah. Now, I've been seeing this go around for at least the last 10 years, trying to decide the military role of cyber attacks. Right, right. And it has a, a real role. Um, apparently, Russia did execute a number of cyber attacks in Ukraine that just haven't gotten proper attention or haven't been reported. The Ukrainian government 
wants to tamp down on that right now because uh, they need to control the the information sphere uh, yeah. in the war. But it sounds like actually Russia did have somewhat more su- success than has been publicly acknowledged. Yeah, I mean, most of what we see on the news here seems to be Ukrainian propaganda. Well, it's certainly very pro-Ukraine. That's right. Yes. Yeah. We only see on one side. Yeah. Anyway, all right. And Caitlin's got the space telescope. I well, not me personally, but uh, NASA and many space agencies have have to deal with a big issue with the space telescope. So CNET has an article talking about how the James Webb Space Telescope is so good at detecting photons that the planetary models used to understand the data coming in needs to get updated, which is a very good problem to have in my book. So what's going on? So uh, imagine that you have a brand new video game console. And, and this is the example I use in the article, like an Xbox. And you hook it up to like an old CRT TV and you can't read the text anymore. You know, you're just, it just can't handle the input. Um, that's kind of what's going on with the data coming in from the James Webb Space Telescope, that they're trying to look for data on, you know, like what various exoplanets atmospheres are are made of. And, you know, what's going on with every single photon that comes into the image. I mean, and this thing really does have very precise uh, measurement capabilities. So it's looking at like every photon that comes in and it can determine details from that photon, like individual photons that are coming in, which is amazing. Um, But it also means that our models that we've been using to understand data from telescopes just are not, don't have the capability to deal with this much data. Uh, so scientists um, and engineers are going to have to update the models to work with this, uh, w- work with all the data coming in, essentially. So, yeah, well, that's that's the progress of science. It very much is, and that's like I said, a very good problem to have, and it just shows you how well designed the James Webb Space Telescope is, and how much more science we're going to get out of it. Yeah. All right. And so the Washington Post and other outlets have an article about this. Um, Facebook and Twitter took down some accounts for coordinated inauthentic activity that were from the U.S. government. And as a result, they said, you know, um, it was really pretty easy to find these. I'm sure our enemies can find them. And it revealed that our uh, U.S. government has been performing offensive cyber activities and imitating what the Russians do, putting up lies smearing dirt about people, putting up fake accounts to try to amplify things. And they said, in fact, evidence shows that those weren't very effective. And what really is effective is actual real people posting things. Um, And now they're having a review of the Pentagon's uh, psychological online attacks, saying, you know, these attacks seem to be unethical and not furthering our values and not really furthering our goals. And so we we need to examine what you did and why you did it and hopefully come up with a better doctrine moving forward. It looks like we're trying to imitate the Russian propaganda that was used to affect the 2016 election and other things, and we're not doing a very good job, and we're not sure we really should be doing that. So uh, these all sound like very good questions. I hope we end up with good answers. And last, Alan's got some Linux books. Yeah, it's another humble bundle that I think folks might be interested in. Um, if you pay 
$40, you can get 21 different eBooks from No Starch Press, which is my favorite technical publisher. And it's a really good collection of books. Um, not to turn this into an advertisement, by the way, we don't receive any ad revenue or uh, affiliate funding from this at all, but uh, for folks who wanna save quite a lot of money, for $40, you can get books like the Linux Programming Interface, which retails for like $100, uh, plus some other really good books like How Linux Works, uh, Practical Linux Forensics, which is a new title from No Starch. I'm interested in that myself. Um, some books on DevOps, Kubernetes, a good intro book on Linux called Linux Basics for Hackers. I recommend that to students. Um, and also your Linux toolbox, which is um, a uh, kind of a crude cartoon on uh, various Linux tools and commands and such, which I think is quite nice. So $40 will get you all these different books, quite a good deal, strong recommend. Of course, you can also access all this stuff through the, um, the uh, CCSF library for free if you are a City College student, or you can also use the uh, San Francisco Public Library System to also access all these books for free through the O'Reilly uh, Safari uh, catalog. Hmm. Yeah, that may have something to do with why uh, I hear book publishing is just a terrible business. You can't make any money. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. And I think uh, both the authors and the publishers aren't really making much money off of it. The authors do this more for um, a professional reputation enhancement than any kind of uh, compensation, really. Yeah, although although no starch is a much better deal for the authors than most publishers, but still, I think there's just not they all the people I know that have written books say it doesn't really uh, it isn't really a productive use of your time as far as money goes. Right, right. But for those of us interested in reading the books, um, I'd say it's well worth our time. Oh, absolutely. The books are important for the consumers and, you know, people do it just sort of as a labor of love and it, it is like promoting your brand or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And one book in particular that a lot of people I think don't realize is a huge, important tool, but don't touch it um, is OpenSCAD, which they are offering here. So there's a book uh, called Programming with OpenSCAD. And what OpenSCAD is, is it's a, a way of modeling um, uh, designs uh, pro programmatically, essentially. So if you want to sort of create like a gear, for example, or a gear system, you can type in a few components, a few numbers saying, you know, I want I want one gear with 200, you know, rungs and another gear connected to it with, you know, 100 rungs. Um, and, you know, it'll program it. It will, you can put it in and it will um, use those parameters uh, to essentially create the object for you, which is really important if you're doing any anything outside of theoretical computing, like if you're making physical products, uh, open SCAD is very important. So, yeah, I see the book of PF here. That would be useful. Yeah, and PF Fireball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good stuff. Free BSD device drivers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the problem with our with our field is this, that you can never learn enough. There's always something else to learn. Um, but yeah, OpenSCAD, I think it's overlooked a lot and that's a really important tool. Um, and of course, PF is important as well, obviously. 
Now, that's why I think we're all in this field to be, it doesn't get boring. There's always nope. something exciting every day, but the penalty is you always feel stupid. There's yes. always somebody bringing up something that you say, gee, I should have learned that and I didn't. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for this one. And we'll be back on Friday. 